Okay. So just to recap, we've, we've had three lessons of on this series so far. Uh, if you want those, they are on the podcast. They're also on the computer at the back. Some of the things that we covered in the first three lessons was that we established that prayer is directly connected to salvation from the new birth or from being born again all the way through to when we go to our eternal reward. Uh, in the first lesson, we talked about how the incarnation or God revealed in flesh was not only significant for our initial salvation, but what it made available to us is directly connected to prayer in the present. And that the power and authority that was made available through the incarnation is not reserved to only for being born again of water and spirit, although without that, nothing else matters. We need to be born again. That's primary. But then as we begin that relationship with God, what was made available to us through the incarnation impacts us daily. That power is there to continue to transform us and to fashion us into His image. And the humanity of Jesus was offered as a sacrifice in our place to open a doorway. He said, I am the door. It created an access point where we're able to come to God to find salvation, which includes becoming His children and the ongoing relationship that we have with Him. I believe it was the second and third lesson we considered the parallel between the pattern of sacrifice in the Old Testament and the Lord's Prayer in the New Testament. The importance of repentance and forgiveness as a part of how we pray is a beautiful fulfillment of the death of the sacrifice and the cleansing that followed, allowing the priest to minister in the holy place. And so when we repent or when we die to sin and we're baptized in Jesus' name or we wash clean, it's also that we can minister to the Lord to his people and to the lost and we touched on the fact that with that parallel with old testament sacrifice that when we refuse to die as the sacrifice it hinders us being clean and it leaves us stuck in the outer courtyard of the tabernacle frustrated and unfulfilled amen like many things in our walk with god that we learn about prayer is understood and developed by doing we can read a lot, and I have no problem with studying. I think we ought to study the Word of God. I think there are some great resources that go with the Word of God, and we need those. But until you actually begin to pray, that knowledge remains inactive. It's dormant. But once we begin to pray, we learn things about prayer. We learn things about our relationship with God. And so to close out this series today, I want to consider some practical things, or at least some practical things, that will hopefully help us with our prayer time. Some of you have heard much of this before. Some of you it's newer, but for all of us, it's important. What are the benefits of a daily prayer time? I can't tell you that if you don't pray each day, you'll go to hell. I don't believe the Scripture gives me that authority. I can tell you that if you make a habit of praying every day, you've got a much better chance of going to heaven. That I can say. But a daily time of prayer does a few things the first thing is it demonstrates our complete dependence upon god when we profess to be christians and don't pray we're actually making the statement maybe not consciously but subconsciously we're making the statement that we can be christians without christ and if you think about that that doesn't make a lot of sense because to be christians we need to be christ-like and we need him for that. And it's, it's actually, without being too blunt too early this morning, 
to, to endeavor to be a Christian without prayer is pride. It's arrogance. Because we're saying, hey, I can be a Christian on my own. And unfortunately, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. Prayer is what we would often refer to as a spiritual discipline or part of being a disciple or a disciplined one. To be a victorious Christian requires a deliberate choice to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And when you connect with Jesus daily, it strengthens you spiritually and helps to keep the flesh in subjection. I've not yet met anybody that's completely conquered their flesh. I certainly haven't conquered mine. It greets me every day. It's there waiting, doing its best to distract, to discourage, to deter, to whatever else I want. It it wants to do everything it can to stop me from walking with God because its nature is flawed and the carnal desires control it. And so daily being in connection with God through prayer helps to keep that flesh on the chain. Amen. The consistency of prayer deepens the relationship we have with the Lord. I think we understand that in the general principle of relationships, that consistency brings strength. Prayer also serves to recalibrate us spiritually or to reset our lives. Now, I am not qualified in any of these areas, but there are many kinds of equipment that are used to take measurements or readings or everything from complicated medical technology right through to good old kitchen scales need to be recalibrated from time to time. They need to be adjusted to make sure that they are measuring and interpreting correctly. Amen. Certainly can't speak for medical equipment, but I knew that when I worked in professional kitchens, my scales had to be checked every once in a while. Because if that scale doesn't start on zero, then that recipe is not accurate and you don't have to go too far to imagine what the cake will turn out looking like when the scales don't work and prayer is like that because the day-to-day of life knocks us around a little bit and we get affected by that and then if we don't recalibrate the next day we're a little bit out of whack and we're reading things a little bit crooked we're not interpreting things as clearly as maybe we should because things have bumped us One of the reasons that my scales used to have to be checked from time to time was one of those big old hanging scales with a metal ball, and it got knocked quite a lot. And that's not good for it, but just that's the way it happens. It's a little bit like servicing your vehicle. When you regularly take care of smaller things in a decent vehicle, it can help prevent larger problems. Brother Chichi and Brother Peter can testify that out in some of the remote communities that we visit in the Northern Territory, the conditions are very tough on vehicles. But not only that, the maintenance is very rare, if at all. And so when you go out there, there are corpses of dead cars everywhere that basically, because they haven't been recalibrated, they haven't been serviced and looked after, they end up just ceasing to function completely. When I went out there just recently with our home missionary for out there, Brother Frank Meyer, we were supposed to be leaving uh, about 9 o'clock one morning. He said, we're not going to be able to go till a little bit later because in his exact words, there was a clunk in the front of the vehicle. That was the technical term he used. The car has a clunk in the front of the Land Cruiser. And if you know that country, you don't want to be driving around with clunks in the front of your four-wheel drive. And so the, the clunk was taken to the clunk doctor 
and found out that we actually had a, a broken support or connection with the shock absorber. And if you go out on those roads, it would have just come to pieces. So prayer is a little bit like that. Prayer is spiritual maintenance, clarity, sensitivity to the Spirit of God, sound judgment, responding to things, measuring things accurately, not by our own twisted judgment. And last Sunday, we ministered about the altar. We spoke about, we, we understand that God is everywhere at once, but we are not. And so we talked about the fact that there is something that happens when we will take a step and come to an altar. And that's why even with prayer, there's, there's some benefit in establishing a consistent place of prayer. Now you can say, well, I can pray anywhere. Yes, you can. You can go and pray in McDonald's if you want to. You might have trouble not being distracted. But there's something about this is my prayer place. Wherever it is, in my house, it's my office. For some of you, it might be your bedroom. For others, it might be a place, who knows where. But there's something about having that consistent because what that does to you is in your mind, when you go there, I'm going to pray. This is, I mean, very few of us have somewhere that that's all we do in that room. Not many of us have enough rooms in our house that we have a dedicated prayer room that nothing else happens in there. But there is something about choosing a time and a place for prayer. Amen. It's part of forming that habit. It's part of making it intentional. Nobody accidentally has a strong prayer life. Any of you that have a consistent prayer habit know that it is a discipline. And just like when we were children, our flesh does not like discipline. It's not pleasant. Amen. Wherever possible, we should start our days with prayer. It sets the day up well, and it can help us avoid other things getting in the way. You know, you may get up with every intention to pray in the afternoon or in the evening, but you know what your days go like. You can start some days, and by lunchtime you think, I want to go back to bed and start this day again. And if prayer is later, sometimes it becomes not at all. So there is a good principle in starting your day with prayer. Now, that can be challenging if you're a shift worker. I recognize that. It's extra challenging if you're a shift worker whose shifts are changing all the time because you haven't got a lot of consistency. But if you're a shift worker, you may have to look at when your day actually starts. If you're a night shift worker, your day may actually start in the afternoon when you wake up. But whatever you consider to be the beginning of your day, it's a good time to commit that to the Lord in prayer. Amen. We sometimes need to challenge the way that we think and recognize that our time with God is the most important appointment that you have each day. Amen. Because often when we get busy, our spiritual disciplines of prayer and being in the Word of God are compromised. The question is why? Why are they the things that compromise or we compromise on? Because subconsciously, again, I'm not saying you make this statement, but subconsciously, other things have higher value. Whether it's our jobs, school, sleep. And everybody said amen in the middle of winter. Everybody said amen. Amen. <laughs> what time of the morning you pray is not necessarily the important issue. The principle is that God is first. There's a principle in giving throughout the scripture that he is first. And he needs to be with our time as well. You see, we're not late for work. Because they give us money to go there. We're not late for plane flights either because they cost us money to book. 
And if we can maybe change our thinking, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself as well here, to realize the profit we make from prayer and the price he paid so we could pray, we might have an attitude shift. Amen. We need to make an appointment with the Lord every day. Don't miss that appointment. You need to find something that works for your own day. You can't say, well, brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so always prays at 5 a.m. or 8 a.m. or whatever it is. You've got to find something that works in your day. Sometimes if, if in a marriage situation, if you've got one spouse serving God and the other one that isn't, sometimes you've got to wait till that, the unsaved spouse goes to work. I grew up in a house like that. My dad has never served the Lord. My mom has served the Lord for nearly 40 years. And once we went to school and dad went to work, forget trying to call home because the phone wasn't going to get picked up. That was mom's prayer time because that was what worked in her situation. And you've all got to look at our own situations and say, what's going to be successful for me? Amen. That's the important thing. We've got to make sure that it works in our situation. We're all different. Thank you, Lord, for that. So we've got to find something that works for us, but we've got to be honest about that when we do that. Amen. There's some of you, and I don't understand you, you're very strange, but some of you wake up smiling and bounce out of bed. I don't understand those people. But <laughs> Brother Jonathan's with me all the way here. But uh, he loves that scripture where it says, the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Some people can just wake up, slip out of the blankets and kneel down at the side of the bed and pray. Now, if I did that, I wouldn't remember waking up, slipping out or praying. Because I'd just be in... It wouldn't work. If that works for you, that's fine. But for a lot of us, that's not going to work too well. So, I mean, just being practical, this may not be super spiritual today, but there is sometimes it is better to get up, get changed... Wash your face, maybe even with coffee if you need to, and then head for your prayer place. There's no point. If somebody else says, well, I, 3 o'clock in the morning, I just fall out of bed onto my knees. It's like, well, God bless you. That's not me. 3 o'clock in the morning, if I'm falling out of bed, it's because I was moving while I was asleep. It's not because I got up early. Amen. So there, we've got to, these, these are practical things, and a, and a very practical, we've got to make sure we get enough sleep. That varies for everybody. No, some, you hear people say, well, I can live on three hours of sleep and more power to you. But if you don't get enough sleep, you make getting up to pray even harder than it needs to be. It's like you're, making, you're challenging yourself, well, I'm going to be underslept and still try to wake up. Everybody needs different, different... Sleep is affected by so many factors, different stages of life, all kinds of things. Like you know, when, you're, when you have little kids... You want them to stay in bed longer. When they're teenagers, you can't get them out of bed. Different stages of life. And, you know, it's, as people get advanced in years, often you notice they get up really early in the morning naturally. Everybody is different. So the, just because somebody else can live on three hours doesn't mean you can. You've got to be honest with yourself and make, try to get enough rest. Because when that alarm goes off and it's dark and it's cold and it's raining, Mm -hmm. help us Jesus amen but remembering it is our most important appointment of the day and if you were going to catch your plane that morning you'd be up amen 
People ask the question, how long should I pray? I understand the question, but it's not really the, the main issue because the focus is not on the clock. The focus is on Jesus. And if we are just starting out, if you don't have an established prayer habit and you're wanting to start out and establish a prayer habit, don't set yourself unrealistic targets. If you're not used to praying each day, don't say, well, I'm going to two hours tomorrow. It's not going to happen. You know. But don't focus on the clock. Focus on your relationship with the Lord, the things you're praying about, and it will develop in time. And if you focus on the quality of your prayer time, the clock will take care of itself. Not only you'll find after a while you may need to have that appointment put a bit earlier, because as you pray, it will grow and it will... It's, I've said this before, it's not a great revelation, but a prayer habit's like an exercise habit. The benefits are found in consistency, and it builds with time. Nobody goes, well... I think I've told this story, but I joined the gym for the first time when I was about, I think we were married. Yeah, is it when we were married or just before I was married? And, you know, in my early 20s, I was in much better shape than I'm in now. Never been in a gym before. I went in first day, thought, I'm going to try everything. Went around and tried all the machines. The next day, when suddenly I was unable to move, I remember trying to sit on the side of my bed and my wife was like, don't touch me. Because I hurt where I didn't know you could hurt. I, I had muscles that were sore that I didn't know existed. And because you learn, you're supposed to do it gradually. Well, it's the same with prayer. You're not going to go from zero to two hours overnight. Begin the habit. Don't focus on time. Don't, don't think, well, I know that, that brother so-and-so prays for three hours a day. Never compare your chapter 1 with somebody else's chapter 20. Don't do that. Just focus on growing your own walk with the Lord. Amen. God wants us to pray. He wants to spend time with us. He will respond to us. And we will feel His presence and we will draw close to Him. Amen. But sometimes you don't necessarily feel the presence of the Lord the same way every time you pray. I'd love to tell you that every time you go to prayer, it's just going to be glorious in the throne room of God, but it's not always like that. Amen. Amen. This is why it's so important that when we pray, we do so from the foundation of what we know, not what we feel. Because if we do so just based on feelings, and you have one of those days where it seems like the Lord's on vacation, you're not so encouraged to pray the next day think well god wasn't there yesterday what am i going to get up for amen but see we know from the word of god that he hears us we know that he is with us we know that he will answer us we know that he loves us that he cares about us and we know that he is the answer to every situation and every circumstance that's what we know now there's not a christian in this building that always feels that way but we all have the word, and if we're trusting in that, these are things that we know, not how we feel. Because if you walk with God based upon how you feel, you better hope that you're feeling Jesus the day He comes back. Because if you're not walking with Him that week because you don't feel it, you're in a dangerous place. 
We walk with God based upon what we know. Now, the Lord I worship is merciful and gracious and wants to be with us. And more often than not, His presence is there. But sometimes it isn't, but we pray anyhow because we know He hears us. Amen. Bless the Lord. Love to be in His presence. We've had wonderful anointing this morning. We had a fantastic prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Very powerful presence of the Lord here on Wednesday night. Just There's nothing like that. But then there are other Wednesday nights when we come for church prayer where it's more of a struggle. He hasn't changed. He's still the same. We have those days. We have those seasons sometimes. But God is not gone. Some of the attitudes we need to approach prayer with. We need to have gratitude. I've emphasized this before, but thankfulness and gratitude can eliminate a whole lot of problems in a Christian's life because it's really hard to have a foul attitude when you're thankful. I mean, if we stay grateful, it takes care of a whole lot of junk. Amen. We need to recognize that it is a privilege and an honor to come to pray. We need to acknowledge that God is granting us an audience. You can get up in the morning and go to your office, your bedroom, wherever it is, your shed, wherever you pray, and God is granting you an audience. Try to do that with the premier. Just show up at his place, or the prime minister, or even your boss. You know, you work in a large company, trying to get the boss's time is tough. But the Lord grants us an audience when we go to pray. He's giving us his undivided attention. He's always there, and at a slightly more sobering level, prayer is a commandment. We are expected by God to pray. Some of the components of prayer, we're not going to get into these in depth because we've covered some of these already. Repentance, worship, praise and thanksgiving, supplication, or in other words, bringing our needs to the Lord. Intercession, bringing other people's situations to the Lord. Praying in the Spirit as the Spirit of the Lord moves through us, and we pray in the Holy Ghost. Some things you can pray about, not an exhaustive list by any stretch, but things that trouble you. You know, often people worry about situations all day but don't pray about them. That's crazy. And yet we all do it. Spend all day stressing about something, but then don't go and pray about it. And the Lord's kind of standing there going, Would you like a hand? And we're stressing and worrying and carrying on. And, you know, Brother Holden. Our former general superintendent used to say, give your worries to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. That's a good saying. You know? He's not going to sleep. Let him worry about it. You go to bed. Amen. Things that trouble us. We need to pray for the leaders and for our church. Amen. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters. We need to pray for needs that we know other people have. If you know somebody needs a job, if you know somebody's not well, if you know somebody's got struggles going on in their home, pray for them. Pray for your pastor. That's not on the list. I just added that on the spot. Pray for needs that you have. Pray for friends. Pray for family. Pray for neighbors and on and on and on. You see, when you start thinking about all the things you can pray about, how long you should pray is not an issue. Really, it's almost like, what can I pray about today that I'm not going to take the entire day? Amen. Let's look at some reasons that prayers aren't answered. Things that can interfere with our prayer life. And we're going to get to James 4 in a minute. And if you've still got that, hopefully I haven't forgotten about it. 
But the psalmist said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Sin is like a roadblock with prayer. When we've got sin that we're aware of, that's unrepented, that we know is going on and we're ignoring it, that's like a broken connection until we come with repentance. All right, let's read the first four verses of James chapter 4 so that you can't go home and say we didn't have any Bible today. James chapter 4 and verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, or don't they come even of your lusts that war in your members? Or in other words, your carnal nature in your own self? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lusts. You adulterers and adulteresses. Remember, this is written to the church. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, there's a bit of lumpy King James language in that. So to simplify it down a little bit, he says, what is the, where, what is the source of the problems and the conflict and the things that are going on? He said, doesn't it come from your own carnal self? He says, it's your lusts. He talks about asking and not receiving because you ask amiss. Or in other words, your motives why you're asking what you're asking for what's the motive behind it the lord's not interested in answering some of those prayers and you know there are some prayers he doesn't answer and we are blessed because he doesn't answer them particularly if we're asking out of our flesh he said you ask amiss he said you are because you want it to consume it on your lust you want it for your own pleasure your own benefits your own opinion your own circumstances you know it's hard let's be honest it's hard to pray about a situation that you're emotionally invested in because you already know what you think the outcome should be. And that warps the way that we pray. Dear Jesus, may you smite that person. Lord, you know how much trouble that person's giving me. Please sort them out. Now, that may be accurate, but in the middle of all that, there may be a little bit where it's blurry, where some of that's yours as well as theirs. And so the Lord's saying, well, you're, you're almost there. You're a little bit twisted here. But this is what he's talking about. We, our motives, sometimes we think we're spiritual and help because we're praying about it. But really, we're looking a little bit for a genie in a bottle that will go and cause that person to feel the pain of what they've done. And that's, that's asking amiss. Talks about adultery in verse 4. It's, it's, I don't believe it's talking about literal physical adultery, but it's talking about unfaithfulness in a relationship with God. It's been unfaithful to God. He said, if you're going to be the friend of the world, you're in opposition. That's what enmity is. It's hatred or strong opposition. If you want to be buddies with the world, you can't be buddies with God at the same time. You've got to choose who your friends are. Amen. Amen. So some of the things that are listed here that will hinder us when we ask and we won't receive a conflict in our lives that are a product of our flesh, asking for things from ungodly desires with a carnal motivation, and being friends with the world or having a relationship with the world that is stronger than your relationship with God. We live in the world. But if you're more comfortable with worldly things than with godly things, you need to get recalibrated. 
Amen. There's, there's one we've talked about before, but First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 lets us know that as men, if we don't treat our wives the right way, our prayers can be hindered. Now, it doesn't give us a second verse that talks about the wives, but I don't think I'm on unsolid foundation to say it works both ways. It's maybe written directly to the men because maybe they have the bigger issue, but ladies, it works for you as well. If you give your husband a terrible time, your prayers may have a bit of problem as well. If you think that's false doctrine, we can talk about that afterwards. It's a little bit like in First Timothy 2 where it says, I would that men pray lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. It doesn't mean that ladies are allowed to have wrath and doubting. It's just saying this is often more of a problem with the fellas. Amen. Let's read on in James chapter 4, verse 6. It says, But he giveth more grace... Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Every time I read that verse, the thought of being resisted by God, I don't like the way that feels. Verse 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that verse, but it's not saying that Christians have got to be sad and you can't laugh and be happy. In the context, it's talking about the mourning is talking about repenting for your sin and not finding joy and pleasure in the things of the flesh anymore. That's what that's talking about. Verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren, he that speaketh evil of his brother and judges his brother speaketh evil of the law, judges the law, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So there are, there's, there's a lot in this passage, but there, there are things that are listed here that flow on from the first four verses. The first four verses give us some areas that can mess up our prayers, that can cause our prayers to be unanswered, to feel like you know, you're in really bad reception on a phone call or it cuts out. There's a, there's a piece of road between here and our house that sometimes I'll be driving along and my phone's on Bluetooth and they just disappear. There's a dead spot. That can happen. If you've got some of these issues and you walk with God, you can go through a dead spot. You're like, hello, are you there? Where'd you go? And that's what it can be like. And so in responding to the writer, James telling us these things that can really cause you problems, the conflicts, the carnality, the ungodly motivation for asking the being better friends with the world than being in a relationship with God. In this second passage from verse 6 through to verse 11, he says we need to recognize our need for grace. God gives grace to the humble. He says we need to humble ourselves and submit ourselves to God. Now, let me, this is not the point of this lesson this morning, but you don't humble yourself to God in isolation. It happens in the context of what's going on in the church and with one another. If, if we could just get in a private room, just us and God, and not be affected by other people, humbling ourselves to the Lord would be easy. But we humble ourselves before the Lord when we respond the way He would have us to, to what's going on around about us. The, the context is where do wars and fightings come from? That's the context. So when he says, humble yourself, he's saying, you want this outcome. You want that person to suffer. 
and you pray, you know, in the, in the, I think it's in the Gospels or in Romans or somewhere, anyway, it's in the Bible, where it says, you know, you pray for your enemies and, you know, it's, and the, the Lord will, it's like heaping coals of fire in their head. We like that part. But that's not really what the Lord's saying. He, he's not wanting us to have the ministry of hot coals. I mean, Lord bless them. But he's saying if we will humble ourselves, respond in a godly fashion, he will cause them to feel that conviction. I'm glad he doesn't give us the ministry of conviction because we'd all be giving it to each other all the time. But our part is humble yourself, submit yourself to God, resist the devil. He's the one with the hot coals. Resist the devil. Draw close to God and he will draw close to you. Wash your hands, it says. Purify your hearts. Repent and forgive. Repent and forgive. Wash your hands, purify your hearts. Repent and forgive. Don't be double-minded. If you look in the original language, that word means two-spirited. You cannot serve two masters. You can't be trying to have a foot in each camp and so well I'm liking the things of the flesh and I'm trying to serve God that is impossible you cannot be the friend of the world and the friend of God you can't be double minded or two spirited you're either trusting in God or you're trusting in the flesh all of these things are a part of prayer all of these things can really cripple us, cripple us in our prayer lives humble yourself it says and, let, and God will lift you up Amen. That means we let Him take care of things. That means when we've got an issue with the wars and the fightings and the perverse lusts and prayers that aren't being answered, we let Him take care of it. And here's the big one that can really impact your prayer life. Don't be angry at God if He doesn't do it the way you think He should. People can be angry at God. Why didn't He fix that up? I've been faithful. I've been, we can develop a little bit of that older brother syndrome from Luke chapter 15. All these years, Lord, I've served you. What lack I yet? The rich young ruler. And we start thinking, God, because I've done, God must. That's not how it works. That's not, because then you're trying to do something so that God has to give you the response you desire. That's not why we serve God. He'll handle it his way. And he has this wonderful advantage of being able to see the end from the beginning. Amen. So don't get angry if it doesn't work out the way you think it should. And the, the last one we read in verse 11, don't speak evil one of another. They're all things that can destroy your prayer life. They're all things that will just interrupt that signal bad reception you'll feel like lord i've been praying this is going on read that passage take some time to read that first chunk of james chapter four and say lord which boxes am i ticking i want to have a good prayer life i get enough of a battle with my own flesh when i go to prayer without adding to it my flesh is already there trying to stop me from praying but if i add to that wars and fightings evil speaking carnal motivation bad interpretation of signals and whatever because I'm not recalibrated prayer just gets harder and harder but if I will humble 
myself. Oh, but Lord, this. Oh, but Lord, humble myself. He promised he'll take care of it. You may recognize from this passage, and I'm going to close with these comments, but you may recognize from this passage a parallel going back to our previous lesson to the pattern of sacrifice. Something dies, something's washed, then we enter in. That's the same pattern with prayer. Something has to die, something has to be washed, and then we enter in. And if we don't get those first two right, we could summarize what James says here by this. Clean hands, clean hearts, clean mouths are all keys to prayer in our walk with God as a whole. Amen. And Paul wrote, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 17, one verse, only three words, pray without ceasing. Let's stand together this morning.